Let me pray. Um, Lord God, uh, I just want to talk to you personally, God. Um, just pray that you would speak this morning and not me. Lord, I want to um, just fall under your truth and the authority of your word this morning. And um, yeah, whatever passion I have or being worked up up here, God, that it would be you and not me. Um, yeah, my passion is nothing without your spirit moving. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move and take this time. And we also pray for comfort for the losses yesterday. Lord, please minister to all involved. And uh, we trust by faith that you're going to bring good out of that which seems purely evil and uh, bad. We just praise things all through your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, yeah, good morning. Had a girl one time uh, during an outreach on campus when we asked her what when one picture represented God to her. Uh, she picked this one. It's one of our surveys that we do on campus where we reuse pictures for people to answer. Uh, you could put it up. Uh, it's barbed wire fence to represent God to her. And I appreciated her being honest, uh, for sure, because I don't think a lot of people would be to say that this is what God is like to them. Uh, but yeah, many, many people, uh, non-Christians especially, but I would say many Christians, if we're honest, sort of view God uh, in this way. And what it looks like to follow him is sort of like this. It's enslaving, it's limiting, it's not fun, it's suffocating. All the don'ts that you're not supposed to do if you get serious about God. Uh, for them, this is the perception of what it would be like to follow Jesus. Uh, this barbed wire fence. And so they say, you know, why on earth would I choose to follow a religion that has so many don'ts that rob me of freedom, that rob me of pleasure, that rob me of the coping mechanisms that I need in life because life is so hard so this passage we're looking at today uh, shows us uh, that there's, there's a whole uh, other side to this following Jesus thing uh, that isn't understood, uh, a side to it that in fact uh, makes not doing the don'ts a joy even. Um, we're continuing our series in Ephesians, so in chapter 5, uh, 1 to 21, I'll have the verses up here, ESV, but also it's 978 in your Pew Bibles. Verse 1. Uh, Therefore, <clears throat> be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, co or who is covetous, that is, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitful work, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk on, uh, with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so some uh, big picture things, and then we'll get into a, a couple of these specific commands uh, that I'm going to expand and highlight in this passage that I believe are especially relevant to us today. Um, but first, the don'ts. The don'ts in the passage. What are we not supposed to do? It says in verse 5, do not be sexually immoral. Do not be covetous, verse 5. Do not practice filthy, filthy foolish talk. Don't practice crude joking. Don't become partners with, quote, them, in verse 7. Do not take part in works of darkness. Do not walk unwise. Do not be foolish. Do not get drunk on wine. And once again, uh, this list is an example of some of the first things people think when they start to consider if they want to follow Jesus. What am I going to have to give up? And, and it simply confounds the world when someone doesn't do all these don'ts but has overflowing joy and fulfillment in life. Why would there be joy and happiness without these don'ts? The lie of the world is that, you know, we need a lot of these don'ts to be happy in life, fulfilled, or at least to cope, like I mentioned, with how hard life is. Sexual satisfaction, money and possessions, alcohol, other substances. And, and what the world doesn't understand is our motivation of why we don't do the don'ts. And some of it is spiritual, and some of it is just simply the natural consequences of doing the don'ts. And I'll get into that. But we don't just ask, you know, what am I going to have to give up? That question uh, becomes entirely obsolete when we realize what we have to gain. When you have the Lord... You just don't need those things. Um, our motivation for not doing those don'ts is anchored in uh, the very part of chapter 4 into verse 5 or verse 2 of chapter 5. 432 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Where does it start? It starts at God. When we see how, how much he's forgiven us personally, we can't help but forgive others. 
and be in awe of him. And then it says, therefore, in other words, since he's tenderhearted, kind toward us, forgiven us, says be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, love other people like Christ first loved us. Be an imitator or copycat of God. Copycats aren't the original. Love and purity and goodness starts with God. And it's just interesting because, you know, right now, the the non-Christian world is all about love, you know? Love wins, and love is love, and be kind. The only problem, though, with that is that the world's idea of love has no foundation. Love and forgiveness originate, start with God. He has what it looks like. So that's why the world's idea of love breaks down pretty quick. Love with no foundation looks like this. Uh, Once you stop having feelings of love for your spouse, you leave them. Or you emotionally distance yourself from them. No foundation. God's love is unconditional. The world's love is paper thin. God's love means loving your enemies. In the world, there is no love for your enemies. Authentically, anyway. And so vicious cycles of hate abound. The world says tolerate anyone and everything. Yeah, sure, until they step on your rights and go against what you believe or your desires or your philosophy. Don't tolerate that. It breaks down real quick. No foundation. God's love is a true foundation that we want to imitate because we have benefited infinitely from it. We want to be like God because he is so good and life-giving. I remember um, my freshman year in college, really soon after I surrendered my life to Christ, there was this pivotal moment that I had. I was sort of, sort of idea of going on a date with my ex-girlfriend in order to share Christ with her, of course. And I called her up and I set it up Saturday night and I hung up the phone and, and I immediately knew what I was doing. And I was kind of justifying it by like, well, I'm going to share Christ with her. Uh, but I knew what I was doing. I, I was wanting to dabble in sin again. And you know what I did? Um, the next day, I, I called her up and, and I said, never mind. And she didn't understand. It was really weird, of course. Such a young believer. But from what I knew about God, like, it just took my desire away. And I canceled the date. God had changed my desires. And and I was so young in my faith, but I knew who God was. And, And yeah, I wanted to imitate him in purity. And it wasn't out of an obligation. I was changed. And, and that does not make sense to the world. And if it's, just a, if it's just about fleeing the don'ts, then I would agree. That does not make sense. We don't just flee the don'ts. We, we pursue God. 
It's not about what we give up, it's about what we gain. And one could argue that it's not so much that we don't do the don'ts because we're pursuing God, but that we don't do the don'ts out of simply responding to God pursuing us. You know, verse 1 and 2, we've already gained. It began with him. So who cares about what we give up, right? The main reason we don't do the don'ts is because we want to be like God. He's so good and pure. We want to imitate him. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a desire to imitate God in your life or in of your life. You don't have a desire to imitate God. But do you have a desire to have a desire to imitate God? Do you have a desire to desire to imitate God? And if you do, in a way, that's faith. And, that, and God honors that. And you bring that to him as you are. And you say, God, I don't have a desire to honor you or imitate you in this area. Please give me a desire. Change my heart, Lord. And First John says that when we pray according to, to his will, that we can know that which we ask of him. And so you can know that he will answer that prayer in the affirmative. He will change your desire. Let this morning be a morning where you say that and admit that to him. The other reason I thought of as to why we don't do the don'ts is because of the natural design God has put in place. The natural consequences of impure actions leads to harming ourselves and others. Eventually, at least. I like this one on campus when you're talking to non-Christians because it's very, very practical. It's very exposing. It's God's design. God's will in these don'ts is for us not to harm ourselves. He loves us like a loving father yells at his toddler when his toddler is about to touch a hot stove. God lovingly corrects us and gives us commands. And the world has lost sight of this, not putting two together, not seeing, for example, that when I'm sexually impure, it harms me and it harms others. And we're called as Christians in verse 11 in the passage to expose the works of darkness. Expose them, to call them out, to help people see them for what they really are. They're harmful, they're foolish. What is a fool? It's a person. What is, what is something, when, or what, what does it look like when we're acting foolish? It's a person that is harming themselves through their actions. And we all struggle with them. And so I want to call some of these things out. And, and you know, these, these, like I just said, th these things aren't just things that the world is doing. The reason Paul needs to remind the Ephesians, these believers, is because we as believers struggle with dabbling in these things. And so I want to call some of these things out. Verse 3, sexual immorality. The Greek term is porneia. It's vast in its scope. Basically... Everything outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is what is included there. It was obvious then that, that that's what that term obviously meant in the ancient Near Eastern Jewish culture. And so no modern day interpretation of porneia can say otherwise unless you rip it out of its context. 
And then we have no hermeneutics, which are guidelines for healthy interpretation. Throw them out the window. Here's an example of exposing sin for what it is, sexual immorality, uh, pornography. Harmless and healthy, right? Hear that a lot on campus. Not at all. It trains our hearts to lust and be unfaithful to either our current spouse or our future spouse if we're not yet married. And not just believers, like everyone. It trains everyone to be unfaithful. You don't just forget what you see. It's harmful. Studies continue to show. Secular studies don't need to be Christian here. Read this on a BBC article even a couple weeks ago that humans are hardwired to desire and long for a spouse that is 100% faithful to them. But then that same world use to say that pornography is at least okay and some say it's healthy it's foolish it's exposed how about this a little more insidious as to how pornography can be harmful every time you click on a site and visit it you're adding clicks to that site's revenue for advertisements even though it's quote quote free you're basically indirectly Making them money, which in turn grows their business, which in turn harms more and more of the mostly women that are exploited, some against their will. They're contributing to that. It's exposed. It's foolish. Covetousness, verse 3, meaning we're never filled. The world lies to us that we can be filled with its delights. It's not true. More and more possessions aren't enough. Bigger and bigger things aren't enough. And not just possessions and wealth, but also covetousness for control and power. It's a greedy desire to have more. It's easy to know when we're like seeking more and more possessions and money. Less easy to see when we're desiring more and more control, power, whether it's over our small sphere of influence, our family members or friends or coworkers, power, power, control, or in bigger matters. But when I looked up that Greek word, it means an intense and selfish desire for something. This is what it said, especially for wealth, power, or food. Wealth, power, and food. A lot less obvious than the sexual immorality that I just spoke of. But for your soul, just as deadly. That's what scripture says. Covetousness and greed is mentioned in the same exact breath as sexual immorality here. When, he lists, when Paul lists out this sin that if indulged in will keep one from, quote, inheriting the kingdom of God. We see it in this passage. We also see it in 1 Corinthians 6. You can move to that slide. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Covetousness 
in the same breath. For example, as those practicing homosexuality. I don't think we agree with this in practice. That desiring more and more wealth, food, power, control, just as dangerous to our souls as those practicing sexual immorality. And yes, obviously, some sin has more and worse consequences. That's not what's being talked about. It's what is dangerous for your soul's eternal salvation. Talking about consequences. We must see these, quote, lesser sins as just as dangerous to our souls. It's a level playing field before a holy God. Covetousness and greed exposed. Crude joking, verse 4. Once again, we're just doing some exposing of darkness that verse 11 says we should be doing. And it needs to be exposed because there's a lot of deception in the world. And not only in the world, but in our own hearts. You know, we like to start thinking that the sin that we're entangled with isn't so bad. And I'm just pointing out a few came to my mind that specifically need to be exposed. Crude joking. What does that mean? Humility. You can put that definition up there. Uh, that was a new word for me. Uh, crude joking or scurrility can mean humorously insulting, low jesting, uh, putting others down for the purpose of amusement. An example of this that, is that, that I've seen is that it seems to be a political strategy these days. And, and probably not a new thing. It probably has been a political strategy forever. I'm just noticing it especially now. Scurrility, low jesting, putting others down, making fun of them for the purpose of amusement. Maybe their looks, maybe their names. happening. And believers seemingly going along with it instead of rebuking, reproving, and exposing crude joking, they laugh and applaud it rather than expose it. And of course, no candidate is going to be perfect, but we're naming this specific sin here. Verse 3 and 4 say it's improper for God's holy set apart people. It's out of place. If you've gained Christ, why try to gain laughter from, from people by putting others down? We're called to expose that, not to partake in it, not to become partners with them, quote, quote, those who practice those things unrepentantly. So I think we all probably struggle with those things. The important thing is unrepentantly. We're not to partner with people that practice such things unrepentantly. And so those are some of the don'ts that stick out to me in this passage that need some present-day application, sexual immorality, covetousness, crude joking. And I will include, and I, I didn't include this in my talk, but filthy, what, what was it? I can't remember the exact language. Filthy talk, the don'ts, thank you. Filthy, foolish talk. Even this week, filthy talk to my wife. Filthy. I confess that to you guys. Confess that to the Lord. These are things that we want to expose. It's, it's one thing to um, struggle with these things and then say it's okay. You know, that's, 
it's a whole other thing and God honoring to expose these things and and then repent and just yeah so once again like why we don't do the don'ts um, not only because of the bad consequences right they're harmful for us that's God's design uh, but we want to imitate God we are light now says just as he is light it just simply doesn't make sense to walk in the darkness and so what does light do it exposes things And this passage uh, not only hits on the don'ts, but also includes the do's that we, um, how we're supposed to imitate God. We don't just don't do the don'ts, we do the do's. And when we do the do's, we won't do the don'ts. Starting to sound like a Mountain Dew commercial, right? So what are the do's in this passage? We got the do's, be imitators of God, walk in love, have thanksgiving in your speech, Walk as children of light, learn what is pleasing to the Lord, expose the works of darkness, walk wise, make the best use of our time, understand what the will of the Lord is, be filled with the Spirit, speak in psalms, hymns, songs to each other, give thanks always and for everything, submit to one another. And when we pursue God through, through doing these do's, it's just natural that we won't do the don'ts and we'll grow. Um, verse 18 says, that, uh, says, be filled with the Spirit. And like uh, what was mentioned last week, um, that's a passive command. It amounts to letting the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, control us completely. In other words, your heart is a house. It's opening every door to God and not keeping certain doors, certain rooms, certain areas of your life locked where we don't let God in it says filled with the spirit that's everything it's filled to the brim and once again it's a passive command it's surrender uh, it's simply opening up the doors he's knocking you don't have to persuade him to come in he's right at the door and in 19 to 21 we see what happens when we give access to God of every area of our life. It's the end of the passage here. It happens, I think it's 19, is horizontal with people. Uh, you're vulnerable with them. It says, speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And I really don't know what that means, if you think about it, but I don't think our whole lives with believers is supposed to be a musical. Jen wanted me to sing up here and just demonstrate what that would look like, but I'm not going to. Sorry, Jen. I would be in trouble, yeah. Um, but I do know that it means uh, being unified with one another. I mean, the, the imagery is singing with each other. And then verse 19, vertically with God when we're filled with the Spirit, there's an emotional or at least an expressive response to the Lord when we're filled with the Spirit. Uh, and at least for me, it's actually not singing so much. I don't know why, but um, as it is like kneeling before him with my hands uh, empty before him or, or even raised sometimes, but something expressive to God. And so the question is, how are you being expressive to God? of your loyalty to him, of your love for him, of your worship of him, um, of your fealty to him as your commanding officer. Men, 
uh, is, you know, we, we tend to see Jesus more as our commanding officer or our coach than our boyfriend, right? And so we want to be expressive to him in the way that is fitting for that. And there's also thankful, thankfulness to God in verse 20. And then verse 21, being filled with his spirit results in submitting to one another. And why? Because we fear God. It says, out of reverence for Christ. Uh, and next week, Micah will be preaching on the four paragraphs that follow, which are given as examples of what it looks like to submit to one another. But yeah, when we are filled with his spirit, there simply isn't play, any place for the don'ts. They just don't fit because we're filled. And I'll end with this. Um, Madison, Madeline, my daughter, is in kindergarten, so cute. And I've noticed a pattern that happens when I'm uh, dropping her off to school. Uh, and the pattern is this. When I drop her off and there's no one to greet her at the door or her friends aren't around, uh, she will repeatedly look back at me and wave. Like seriously, like four times. As she walks to the door, she'll walk a little Look back, wave, walk a little bit more, look back, wave. When I drop her off and uh, someone is right there to give her a fist bump, uh, maybe the veterans or the high school football players, or if her friends are there, she gives me one wave and then she's gone. Uh, and I'm forgotten about. And I just, I just see the principle there that when, when you pursue someone or, or something, you, you leave other things behind. When you uh, become focused or drawn to one thing, other things just fade. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of sad in my case because, you know, she's forgetting about me or dad as I drop her off to school, but that's the principle. When we pursue God, surrender to him, do the do's, the don'ts will just fade away in your life. And we'll lose an appetite for those things, sometimes really, really slowly. Like, we need to be patient with ourselves, but we will lose an appetite for those things. And I definitely think of the hymn that we sang, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so let me pray, and then the band and the singers are going to come up one last song. God, um, yeah, we and confess to you that we don't have a desire when we're honest with ourselves to open up every door of our house to you, every area of our life surrendered to you. We don't have a desire to imitate you. But Lord, help us to have a desire to desire that, God, and to desire you, Lord. Thank you that we can come to you as we are, that you're gracious with us, that you're compassionate with us. But we do pray for your help and surrender to you. God, help us to remember like, how much we've gained so that it's just not even about what we're giving up. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.